Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. Today it is about two weeks after Father's Day. As you think about your dad, is there a story that stands out to you? Or is there something special about your your time growing up? I would say one of the things that stands out about my dad, well, there's a lot that stands out about my dad. He was a unique character. (laughs) And by that, I mean character. Your dad is still a unique character. (laughs) He makes everybody smile and he makes everybody feel uh, loved and valued. He just has a way about him and doing that with people in a mischievous way. But Having him as my dad, one of the things that I valued most beyond him doing silly things to cheer me up when I'd had a rough day, which was fun and uh, wonderful as well. But some of the most meaningful things were in high school, I took up cross country and he would jog with me. Mm. And we would just have those, you know, say 20 minutes, 30 minutes every other day or so where we would chat while we jogged. And uh, well, when I could talk and wasn't huffing as I was getting into shape at the beginning, but he was there to cheer me along and encourage me. Once I got more in shape, we could actually talk (laughs) while we jogged. I loved that. And that was a really important time. And even before that, he was a traveling salesman. So he was away from home a lot, sometimes for, for a week or so at a time. But when he would get home and when he was home, he would come and put me to bed every night. Even as a teenager, he would come in and say goodnight to me. Of course, if he'd been gone for a while, I had a lot to update him on. (laughs) And he might not have gotten home till 11 p.m. And then I would sit there and tell him all about my week and his eyelids would be drooping. Mm. But he would sit there and he would listen to me Mm. and he would ask about my week. Mm. And he just, he cared and he listened. And... um I just had an amazing father who will still have an amazing father who I uh, love and cherish to this day. So, how about you? Yeah. And I love those things that you shared about your dad. And as a dad myself, I can appreciate the fact of how difficult it must have been for him to sit up with you and chat <laughs> late into the night and just how meaningful that was. I would say my dad. What Do I have any special memories about my dad? And my dad is such just a great man with a man of God, man of integrity, hardworking. And, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to walk up to a study and see him studying God's Word. But one of my favorite memories with dad is just going out on a Saturday morning, sitting in the fishing boat together and watching the bobbers, wishing that they'd go down. Oftentimes they didn't. But just sitting there together, making memories and being there together. And he was there for me if I needed to talk or wanted to talk. But often we just sat there and we're, we're just together. And uh, so that's that's one of my special memories growing up. One of the things I love doing with him and uh, look forward to doing again in the future. Well, today, if you haven't guessed, today we are talking about dads and being a good dad. And on this podcast, we have the privilege of interviewing David, David Hirsch. David and his wife, Peggy, live in Barrington, Illinois. They have one grandchild and are the parents of five adult children. In 1997, David founded Illinois Fatherhood Initiative, the country's first statewide nonprofit fatherhood organization. 
whose mission is connecting children and fathers by engaging fathers in the education of children. He is also founder of 21st Century Dads Foundation and the author of 21st Century Dads, A Father's Journey to Break the Cycle of Father Absence, which talks about his own journey or bicycle ride across the country from Los Angeles to Chicago, and how he used this to uh, raise awareness for 21st Century Dads. So, without further ado, here is our conversation with David. All right, David, welcome to the Hope A New Podcast. We are so excited to have you here. Glad to be here. Thank you. Could you take a moment and please introduce yourself and your family to us and to our, our audience? Sure. So, I'm a Chicagoary native. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 37 years. We were actually high school sweethearts, so we've known each other, I think, for 42 years. We have five adult children, two boys, three girls. They're age 30 down to 23. We also have a grandson who's 15 months old. From a work standpoint, um, I was a tax accountant when I first uh, graduated from college. And then for the last 35 years, I've been a wealth manager. That's neat. Sounds like quite a family. We're very blessed to have uh, five kids. They're all productively sort of uh, engaged. One of them still in school. Four of them are in the workaday world. And uh, very fortunate that uh, even though the pandemic has struck and impacted, you know, like more than 40 million people are out of jobs. Those five are not out of jobs, fortunately. That's that's good. Now you head up 21st Century Dads, and the mission of 21st Century Dads is to improve the lives of children by raising awareness and resources for greater father involvement and inspiring dads to be present physically, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. That is such an incredible mission, and thank you for taking that on. I'm so glad you have stepped into that space. Can you share more about your background and why that's important to you? Sure. Thanks for asking. So I would just uh, dial back to uh, circa 1996. We just had our fifth child, and I was looking for how to be a better dad, how to be a better husband for that matter. And I stumbled across some statistics. There's some 24 million kids, four out of every 10 in America, growing up in father-absent homes. And I came to learn further that children from father-absent homes are four times more likely to grow up in poverty, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, and that these things are going on. There's more crime and incarceration, more teen suicide and pregnancy, more drug and alcohol abuse. And I was inspired by some work at the National Center for Fathering, the National Fatherhood Initiative, and that led to the birth of the Illinois Fatherhood Initiative, the initial charity that I started in 1997. And all that we're doing there with the local charity is inspiring dads to be more involved in their children's education. All the research shows that when both parents are involved, all the educational outcomes go up and the things that I was referring to go down. And we basically get kids to be writing about their dads, stepdads, granddads, and father figures. And uh, we've learned that one of the most direct ways to touch the heart of the father is through the words of his children. We've been doing that for 24 years. And then about five years ago, I felt like God was talking to me, not audibly like we're talking here, but felt like I should be doing something more consequential. So our fifth child was going off to college. I felt like I had a little bit more bandwidth. And what I heard God saying was, you should do a cross-country bicycle ride. And I'm like, you've got the wrong guy. Um, <laughs> I'm not an endurance bike rider. I don't even own a bicycle that you could ride across the country. I started talking with friends and one thing led to the next surrounded myself with people that had already been there and done that, bought a bike, trained very heavily for two months, 
flew out to LA with my youngest daughter, uh, a couple of other friends, put a crew together, had a 21-day schedule, and that was the first of many dad's honor rides, Santa Monica to Chicago. It was budgeted to be a 2,100-mile ride in 21 days. It actually turned out to be 2,325 miles, which if you did the math, turns out to be 112 miles a day, every day, on average for 21 days in a row. And the old adage is that uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I wanted to tell the story. And uh, it was a transformative experience for a lot of different reasons. It was personally rewarding. And uh, we called them dad's honor rides. We were honoring dads in community to community as we rode through. I learned a little something about myself, right? That, you know, I had something in me that I didn't know that I had. I ended up giving a TEDx talk a number of months later. I ended up writing a book to the title uh, Father's Journey to Break the Cycle of Father Absence. And it was more about the advocacy that we're talking about than the ride itself, but sprinkled in there were some anecdotal stories about how did a 54-year-old ride 112 miles a day for 21 days in a row. I was started to talk then, this is better part of uh, four years ago now when the book was written, started to talk then about what really motivated me to lean in on this issue. And intellectually, like I'd mentioned, there's 24 million kids, four out of every 10 in America. You know, that's something we should all pay attention to. It's referred to generically as the breakdown of the family. And uh, it's just unfortunate that so many kids are growing up in single parent families. What really motivated me was fear. Uh, fear that I wouldn't have a close relationship with my kids. Fear that I would fall into the same trap that I found my dad and myself in, which is to say we did not have a good relationship. And I witnessed that my dad wasn't close to his dad. And that was my greatest fear when I was a dad for the fifth time over at age 36. And I wanted to do something about that. I didn't talk about that until a number of years ago. But that was the rocket fuel in my veins that motivated me to spend this extraordinary amount of time advocating for kids and dads. Wow. Wow. Man, I wish I could. I wish I had more time to just sit down with you and chat about your bike ride and uh, hear what moments stood out to you from that and uh, what lessons you learned from that. You could read the book. Yeah, the book. The book. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to sit down with the book and read it. And uh, we will actually go. have a link to the book in our in our show notes. So any of our listeners that would like to read more about your journey there can purchase your book and uh, take the journey there alongside you in, in, in the form of your book. So uh, that would be great. What an amazing story, though. And I, I love your heart, your passion to be there for your children. That's amazing. Of course, here with Hope Anew, our focus is on on special needs parents or the parents of children that are impacted by special needs. How does 21st century dads come alongside fathers of children who are impacted by special needs? It's a great question. So I, I want to be transparent. When we first started the 21st Century Dads Foundation in 2015, the mission was simply raising resources and awareness for fatherhood causes like the local charity. And I have dozens of friends around the country who are advocating for kids and dads in schools and hospitals and the workplace in the communities at large. And the original vision was that we would work together to increase the size of the pie and try as I did to compel one of these organizations to put a person on a bike for one of the 21 days. Remember, we didn't do this for just one year. We did it for three years. I could not compel any of them to put a person on a bike for one day for every one of those rides. And after a couple of years, we like 
well, wait a second, uh, we're raising this money, we're raising this awareness, and we're distributing the funds like we said we would, but nobody else is engaging. And the simple de definition of insanity is you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. So we were at a fork in the road, that proverbial fork in the road. And one idea was well, maybe it's not, not meant to be, right? So we could either close the charity down or we could pivot. And what we were thinking about was where are the most challenging areas in the world of fathering? And you'll just have to take my word for it since I've been doing this for a couple decades. The four areas that we narrowed it down to were raising kids in urban areas, high poverty areas. That was number one. The second is working with dads who are incarcerated, dads who have literally been removed from their families and society, actually. Number three was men who become fathers as teenagers, so teen parents. And then the fourth was a dad raising kids with special needs. And for years and years, I have said that some of the best parenting that I've witnessed is in the special needs community. These moms and dads, for the most part, did not get the hand dealt to them that they had anticipated, but they are doing the best job they possibly can. They're the fiercest advocates for their kids. And I've been so inspired by my friends over the last decade or decades who have done an amazing job raising their kids, the typical and atypical kids alongside one another. So we were evaluating these four areas and we narrowed it down to two, the teen fathering and dad raising kids with special needs. And it became apparent very quickly that there's very little infrastructure around teen parenting. There's some programs like here in Chicago, public schools for women, high schoolers who become pregnant or who have kids. Uh, they want to keep them in school. They just want to do whatever they can to make sure they graduate, you know, with a high school degree or a GED. But there's very little going on for the dads. Um, it's something that's really important to me to be able to advocate for these young men who, in most cases, inadvertently become fathers at such early ages. And we have two of the guys involved in the Special Fathers Network that are focused on teen fathering, one up in Oregon, one uh, uh, down in Orlando. And um, I want to do more in that area. But because there's so little infrastructure, we decided to focus our time and energies on dads raising kids with special needs. And that morphed into what's known today as the Special Fathers Network, which is a dad-to-dad -dad mentoring program for fathers raising kids with special needs. And to date, we've recruited over 400 dads who on average have uh, 10 or more years of experience raising a child, or in some cases, children with special needs. And we're making their experiences available to these younger dads who are closer to the beginning of their journey. And in a perfect world, the match starts with the type of special need that the child has, the gender of the child, the socioeconomic group, the ethnic group, uh, geography. There's a bunch of other things that you know, get baked into that. And the idea is that if a more seasoned dad can come alongside a younger dad who's already been there and done that, uh, it'll make his journey and raising that child or those children uh, a little bit easier. And hopefully, you know, they'll stick by their kids over a longer period of time, if not, you know, for the long term. So that's the quick overview on the Special Fathers Network and how that became the primary focus of the 21st Century Dads Foundation. Mm, that's so needed. And I can, I can attest to just need for that. Personally, I reflect back on my, my journey and how valuable that would have been. So thank you for doing that. That's such a needed area. So can you tell us a bit more about who it's for and then give us a picture of what it looks like if there's a standout story that comes to mind? Wow, that's a really good open-ended question. 
our primary focus is trying to help young men or men who have young children, I should say, who are raising a child or children with special needs. So the terminology that comes to mind, and in a perfect world, we could reach these dads in the early intervention years. That would be zero to three. And if not, then, you know, catch them at the beginning of their IEP experience, these individual education plan that get written for the kids that are typically behind in some way or another by 30% or more. It's proven to be pretty challenging. All 400 dads who are in our program, the mentor fathers, have a common refrain, which is, I wish there was something like this when I was a younger dad, right? It would have made things so much easier. But a number of them will add with a pause in the middle, but I don't know if I would have taken advantage of it. And I think it gets to the psychology um, about working with men. And all women get this, like every woman on the planet understands. <laughs> yep, I'm nodding. Yeah. We men are Neanderthals, and there's truth in the statement that we will not pull over and ask for directions when we're lost, right? That's just something that's simple, like when you're in your vehicle and you're trying to get from point A to point B, you know, we're just going to figure it out on our own. And I jokingly say, thank God for GPS. That's probably saved a lot of relationships along the way. There is truth in that statement, though, right? Men, by and large, want to fix things, right? We're going to figure it out on our own. And we're just talking about something like driving in a car, which is like no big deal. It just takes you a little bit longer to get from wherever you are to wherever you want to be. But when you apply that same thought process, that same problem-solving approach to something more consequential, like raising a child or raising a child with special needs, it's a recipe for disaster. And what we're trying to do is get in front of these young families, both the moms and the dads, and nurture that curiosity for the dads to step forward and to engage. We don't have the solution. It's proven to be much more challenging than we anticipated. I've been advocating for kids and dads for decades. It's not like I'm, you know, green behind the ears, but it's something we need help with, right? So I'm hoping that your listeners who, who understand what it is that we're talking about will encourage those dads, young dads, and dads who are a little bit more seasoned to engage, to err on the side of being intentional and being present. That's so good. That encouragement, unfortunately, we men do often need that encouragement. So that's, yeah, thank you. Now you asked about some interesting stories, Sarah. It would be bad of me to pick out one story out of the 400 plus men that I've met, the more than 100 men that I've interviewed for the Special Fathers Network Dad to Dad podcast. But I will say that we've been blessed to engage some high-profile dads. A few that come to mind are the actor Joe Montana, who has a young adult daughter with autism, uh, Dick Wright from Massachusetts, the fellow that's been pushing his son for the better part of 40 years and mostly running races and triathlons, 34 Boston marathons. He's been an idol of mine for decades and decades. There's a fellow out in Long Island, New York, Mark Cronin. Uh, he and his son, John, started something called John's Crazy Socks. There's another guy down in Princeton, New Jersey, John Crowley, who found a cure for Pompeii disease. There's been books written about him, movies made about him. He's the CEO of a publicly traded uh, biotech company called Amicus Therapeutics. The list goes on and on. But those are just some of the highlights of you know some of the higher profile dads. But most of the dads that I've interviewed, most of the dads in our network don't meet that MO. They're ordinary guys, firefighters, police officers, educators, trash collectors, guys in a lot of uh, 
nine to five uh, cubicle type of jobs like myself. That's the essence of what we're trying to do. Because if all we did was um, profile higher profile dads, you know, that would be hard to relate to. So what we're trying to do is tell ordinary people stories so that the ordinary guy out there can relate to them. So if there's anybody who's listening to this and thinks that they'd like to share their story, I'd be more than happy to take a call or respond to some emails. Just out of curiosity, how long is somebody usually stay connected in the mentoring program? Is it once they join and they, they have a mentor that they stay in that relationship indefinitely or how does that work? That's a great question. So as far as the mentor fathers are concerned, they're signing up almost like, uh, probably not a good analogy, like the bone marrow registry, right? You're just signing up and you're hoping you're called, right? That you can be matched. And it's an honor to be matched. And as far as how long do the relationships last, the matches that are made, that's totally dependent on the individuals that we've interviewed. For some, it's just a couple phone calls, maybe a Skype, a Zoom. And for others, you know, they're ongoing, they're everlasting. And just as a little backdrop, the idea for the Special Fathers Network was based on another friend's not-for-profit called Immerman's Angels, I-M-E-R-M-A-N, Angels. It's a cancer support group. It's been around for about a dozen years. There's a close friend of mine. His name is Johnny Immerman. And Johnny is a two-time testicular cancer survivor. And the second time he was going through his recovery, he decides to volunteer in a pediatric cancer ward, get his mind off of his own situation, and help other people. He compelled some of his friends, fellow cancer patients, to volunteer alongside him. Flash forward a dozen years, that initial volunteer experience has morphed into what we know today as Emmerman's Angels. They have more than 8,000 cancer survivors. They call them the angels. They match them with the cancer fighters, people that are closer to the beginning of their journey you know, with various types of cancer, they match them, A, based on the type of cancer, B, based on the gender, C, based on the socioeconomic group, ethnic group, et cetera. And what I was inspired by was Johnny's story, like the one I'm conveying, and the fact that those 8,000 volunteers have been matched over 50,000 times. And we thought, what if we were to recruit hundreds, and if it's meant to be thousands of dads raising kids with special needs, and they could be matched over and over and over and over. So that's what our vision is, is that we'll recruit not just hundreds of dads like we have today, but perhaps thousands of dads, and that each of the dads would be matched not just once, but multiple times. And that hopefully those younger dads, as they become more seasoned dads, like the cancer fighters who, whose cancer goes into remission, they actually become the mentors or the angels. So we're a little bit too early into our experience to have the younger dads become mentor fathers. But most amazingly, we do have a number of fathers who are super young. I can think of five or six that come to mind that have kids that are two, three, four years old. They're already mentors. You're thinking, well, wait a second. You're sort of new to the fatherhood fraternity, right? You're sort of like a pledge. <laughs> or if you're in the military, a plebe, right? you're still going to get hazed a lot. They're compelled, right? Even with not a lot of experience, they want to share their experience. So we try not to you know, differentiate too strongly, like you have to have 10 years or more of experience. But I think it's what's on the person's heart, right? 
And by the way, not everybody who's raising a child with special needs wants to be a mentor or would be a good mentor for that matter, right? So we have to respect that as well. Good. I love your vision. I love the vision of having thousands of uh, mentors out there available as resources for, for new dads. In fact, I remember going into work the day after Sarah told me about her suspicions that Jordan was autistic. And so the next day, I remember going into work and I just had this huge load on my shoulders. And I went into a colleague's office and sat down and shared that Sarah thought Jordan was autistic. In fact, that was my first words to him. He asked, how are you doing? And I said, well, Sarah thinks Jordan's autistic. And then the conversation just went on from there. And the reason I felt safe talking to him was because he is the grandfather of a son that has autism. Now, many of our fathers who are listening may find themselves in a similar position and not know who to talk to. And so, the, of course, the, the first thing that they can do is go sign up for a mentor with a Special Needs Fathers Network. What would you say to them next? That's a great question. So, if somebody has just recently learned that they have a child with special needs or they suspect they might have a child with special needs, I think the first stop would be to go to the 21stCenturyDads.org website. There, you can click on the self-assessment and just get a quick read you know, at, at your own expense or time to get some feedback on your fathering. So there's four areas that we focus on, physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial. And it'd be a good starting point. I would suggest that uh, maybe you uh, start listening to one or more of the podcasts. So if it's autism, happy been to one of the 20 plus autism interviews that we've done, or if it's Down syndrome, et cetera, and just start to educate yourself, right? Be inspired by some of these other men's stories. There's also a, a Facebook page and then there's a closed Facebook group. And uh, I would encourage you to, you know, like that, inquire about becoming um, a member of the closed Facebook group. It's a great community of dads. There's also bi-weekly calls that we're doing on the first and third Tuesdays of every month on different topics. And the topics, you know, are all over the board, but topics that would appeal specifically to fathers raising a child with special needs, dad meetup groups, estate and financial planning, sibling, family balance, finding employment, being present emotionally, the importance of respite in marriage. So, you know, that's just something that takes an hour once every other week, which would be a great resource. You know, if that wasn't enough, then I would suggest you might inquire about finding a mentor. So I wouldn't start necessarily with the inquiry for a mentor as much as we want to have guys reach out, but there's a number of things that people can be doing, as I've just outlined, which I think, you know, probably appeals more to dads, right? To do something on their own terms without raising their hand or engaging. But, you know, as soon as you're ready to engage, by all means, either call or go online and, you know, say, I'm ready. Well, I love what you're doing to help dads in this journey and to come alongside them in a time that can feel so uncertain and helpless and when they just want to fix it and you can't. So thank you for your work in that. And yet I'm also thinking of the single moms that are listening right now, because that's a strong reality. And what would you have to say to the single moms who are listening to encourage them? It's a great point, Sarah. So the first thought that comes to mind is that my mom was one of those single moms. She raised me and my younger brother starting at my age six. 
as a Chicago public school teacher, which is to say there was not a lot of resources. So I have the utmost respect for single moms, most of which did not sign up to be single moms, but they find themselves in that situation. So the first thought is to try to engage the dad, if it's at all possible, make the extra effort as challenging as that might be based on all the circumstances that led to becoming a single mom. And then be objective, right? Try to surround your child, both sons and daughters, with positive adult male role models. And there's this fallacy that I've heard some women espouse, which is I'm the mom and the dad, right? I can do it all myself. I don't need men. And I don't want to take anything away from the moms that are doing double or triple time, doing it all themselves. But your child will be an advantage if he or she can not only see strong, fierce advocates like their mom, but also positive adult male role models. It's just as important for young boys as it is for young girls to have positive adult role models. That's a great answer. And a story comes to mind in my own life where I had both amazing mommy and dad. And I can think of other single moms in our church and in our lives who approached my parents and specifically my dad to ask if he would be that male presence in their daughter's lives. And it developed into some beautiful, beautiful relationships. And even some of them came on vacations with us. And now I have to admit in my immaturity, I was a little jealous over my dad's time. Now that I'm an adult and can look back on it, I see just how critical and how valuable that was and what a blessing it is to have parents with a heart of generosity of both their resources, including their time. And so, yeah, I would just second what you said and encourage single moms to look around for those strong male role models that may be around and be willing to do that. Yeah, just start with your own family. It could be your dad. You know, the grandpa, it could be a brother, it could be an uncle, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coach. You know, there's a lot of able-bodied men out there and uh, sometimes they're everywhere and sometimes you have to look a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, we share that there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. How have you seen this to be true in your own life? Wow. This sounds like a Dr. Phil type of conversation now. <laughs> I'll share one story. It's a little embarrassing, but it's a true story. So this goes back to the beginning of 2016. For a number of years, better part of 10 years, actually, I'd been thinking about writing a book that would appeal to women growing up without their dads. I have three young daughters, not so young anymore, but they were much younger a decade or more ago. And I finally found somebody I thought that could help me write this book to inspire young girls who are growing up without their dads. So we're going to get together for lunch at the Union League Club here in Chicago. And the day before the morning of, my friend Jennifer Weigel says, hey, I've got a friend I want to bring to lunch with me. Would you mind if he came along? I'm like, whatever. So we're sitting there. We're having a salad to start with. And this fella, whose name is John St. Augustine, who I didn't know from Adam, other than he was a good friend of Jen Weigel's, says to me after like, no more than a 10-minute conversation. He says, the, this dysfunctional relationship with your dad has been a real gift. And I'm like, what the F? Where is this guy coming from? And he has absolutely no idea the slippery slope that I've been on with my dad then for you know the first 55 years of my life. I was just really outraged. 
I mean, I didn't tell him how outraged it was, but he could just tell by my body language that we were not connecting. And I said, I think I said something along the lines, John, with all due respect, you have no idea what you just said. And uh, he's like, oh, no, 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 back off a little bit. I was thinking there's just no way that he could possibly appreciate the challenges that I've gone through and things that I've struggled with over the years. And he said, what I meant was that this challenging relationship um, has been a gift, not with a bow on it, with a ribbon, you know, like you might think of as a gift in a box. But if it hadn't been for this dysfunctional relationship with your dad, you wouldn't be the husband you are to your wife. You wouldn't be the dad that you have been to your kids. You wouldn't have been advocating for kids and dads like you have been for so long. It's really a blessing. And it was like the light bulb went on. It took me a couple seconds to understand what he was saying because I was distracted by the word gift. And I was thinking, you know, gifts are something you give to somebody to please them, you know, on a special occasion, a birthday or a holiday or something. It took me a while to process what he was saying. And we finished the lunch. We ended up getting together, John and I did afterwards. I abandoned the original book idea and he and I uh, ended up co-writing the book, A Father's Journey to Break the Cycle of Father Absence. So, Wow. Well, thank you for be, uh, being vulnerable and sharing that story. It's neat to see how your journey has come full circle to now where you're speaking into so many fathers' lives and uh, your pain is being used in so such a great way. Well, I love the phrase that you use, which is there's purpose in the pain, right? I think of that as so accurate. And if you can only understand as you're going through something that there is a purpose, it probably makes it a little bit easier to deal with as well. That's so true. And I'm sure some of the men who are listening may be thinking that they are in a place where they've lived through some of this now. Their child has been through certain stages of the questions, the unknowns, the diagnosis, the IEPs, and maybe they're in a place where they could be a mentor now. And maybe some of the women are thinking, you know, my husband would be really good for that. <laughs> so do you currently have openings for men to apply to be mentors? And how does that work? Great question. Um, we have a, what I might refer to as an open door policy. We're always looking to engage more men in the network. Many of them report that they get more out of interacting with the other dads than they're giving. And it's like a lot of things in life, you know, it's a two-way street. It's not right for everybody, but if you have the right frame of mind and you're willing to share some of your own experiences, I would emphasize that our mentor fathers do not give legal or medical advice. That's what lawyers and doctors are for. They're just sharing their own experiences on a one-on-one -on -one basis and you know, no advanced training is necessary. Although we do try to prepare our dads so that they don't feel like they're stepping into uncharted waters. Unfortunately, we lost the last part of our conversation with David, but I want to share one more thing with you before we go. I recently had the opportunity to attend an online virtual conference that David's organization hosted for fathers of children with special needs. A few weeks later, I received a neat letter in the mail from David, and in this letter, it contained two special coins, and these coins are called Great Dad Coins. And I love these coins just because it acknowledges the, the, the hard. It was 
served as an encouragement. It, uh, it told me, hey, you know what? I, I realize that you're going through this difficult time. Or I realize that you're really stepping up your game to be there with your family and help be that dad that your family deserves. And it was encouragement in that moment. It's a very meaningful coin. There's a lot of symbolism in it. And I'm actually going to have Sarah share a little bit more about that. Yeah. And this coin, it's not like a cheap little trinket kind of a coin. There's some heft to it. And you can tell a lot of thought and design went into it. And on one side, it has four key words that define a great dad. And those words are commitment, honesty, love, and patience. And then it also has a set of numbers, two, four, seven, and three, six, five. And Jonathan, why don't you tell us what those numbers mean? Yeah, so those numbers, two, four, seven, they mean that you are there for your family 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And three, six, five means that you're there holding these values 365 days a year. And I'll say that right before we got into this question, After we'd had the rest of this conversation with David, I had had the thought in my mind, you know, we haven't defined what a good father is. And I loved that, like I was holding on to that question. And then we got to the the talk about the coins and where he mentioned the four key words, commitment, honesty, love, and patience. And 24-7-365. And I felt like, you know, that's exactly what defines, you know, a great dad. Because I know in our life circumstances with a child with special needs, dads can often feel like they are failures. You know, we've talked to men in our workshops and in our groups, and of course, I've talked to Jonathan and others where they share how they feel like they're failures because they want to fix the situation. They want to earn all the money that it would take to get all the therapies and resources that they need for their child. And some of these dads are working two, three jobs or one job all hours of the day and night to try to just earn some extra resources to be able to provide some basics for their kids. And I love this definition because so often those dads feel like failures because they're not doing all the extras and the vacations and the everything else that other families are getting to do and to have. And yet these dads are committed and they're showing love and they're living with patience and they are showing up day after day after day. They're showing up for their families. And that is what makes a great dad. And I'll say of Jonathan and I know other men that we have talked to of kids with special needs that you all are my hero. Jonathan is my hero because he shows up every day and he does what needs to be done. Whatever that is, he shows up and he does it. It may not be glamorous and it may be a rather thankless job. And yet for the wives and, you know, moms of these kids out there, we can't thank you enough. If you are a mom out there and you said, hey, I'd like to get one of these great dad coins for my husband, you can go to David's website, 21st Century Dads. We will have a link to it in the show notes and you can purchase them there. And I promise you that he will love it. He will cherish it and it will just mean so much to him to have you present him with that coin. And dads, if you have a best friend out there or a buddy who you see that he is walking a similar journey and he 
is just keeps showing up for his family, this is a great way to honor your friend as well. So, thank you so much, David. Thanks for coming on our show here today. We were really encouraged through the time that we had with you, and we know that your ministry is going to bless many families out there. Thank you so much. <music> 